Hi, everyone. This is Lori Melnitsky of Stuttering, Demystified, and Beyond. Welcome to episode 39. This is a podcast where we talk about stuttering, ADHD, and many other topics related. Today, I have the pleasure, I'm so thrilled to have on Dr. Karen Dudek. Brannon, and she's a licensed SLP. She's a mentor to speech pathologist, and she really does a lot. So I'm going to turn over the mic and I'm going to let her explain. Hi, Karen. Welcome. Hi. Th thank you for having me. Oh, I love this. What do you do? <laughs> so I do a lot of things. So I'll kind of, I'll give you the, uh, the, the cliff notes version. So I spent 14 years in the school systems as a school SLP. And at that time, I was also working on my doctorate in special ed and my special education credential and thought that I was going to go the school administration or higher ed route, but ended up instead, just because of some things with my family and not wanting to relocate, I instead ended up opening up an online education business where I support clinicians. I started off making some, do, doing some resources and trainings for speech pathologists in the area of language and literacy. But also what I've been working on recently is that I've, I've expanded to really supporting all school service personnel, um, just really the whole team and really focusing more on leadership and collaboration as well. Um, I found that as I was supporting SLPs with language therapy, a lot of times they'd get good at, at the therapy aspect of what am I doing when I have a student or students in front of me, but there's so many other systemic issues and needs for support that I, I felt like I wasn't really solving the entire problem. So that's why I've I've expanded and also this is just kind of another passion of mine just with the whole with the background in special ed. So I currently run an online education business and have been doing that since 2015. So I run a number of different programs for clinicians, um, primarily SLPs right now. But like I said, I am expanding to support other professionals like school psychologists, uh, social workers and other service providers. So, you know, it's, it's so interesting because you had mentioned something and I, I know we've spoken about it before and maybe you can kind of expand on this. Um, yeah, I think like sometimes, you know, a lot of us tend to kind of work in isolation, like school SLPs work. And if we're in private practice, we're kind of working on our own. I, I know, Sometimes, you know, I'll be treating somebody and then they're getting speech in school and we email here and there. But I think, and you know, everybody kind of know, everybody kind of asks like, what do I do and how do I help? How do you, how do you like, you know, work on a lot of these things and collaborate with everybody? Well, so if there's a couple different ways that I look at this. So if I have a speech pathologist, for example, who is like, I'm so overwhelmed, what do I do? I do actually start with, 
I would probably recommend that they do get comfortable with the traditional kind of pull out. Just get your feet under you. Learn some good systems for what you're doing in therapy so that you can have some uh, mental bandwidth to think about some other things. I think it makes sense to start there. But what I found is that when a lot of clinicians do get more confident and comfortable there, they do realize, you know what, there's, I really need to work as a team. And so a lot of times with SLPs specifically, and I'm just using that as an example, because that's, that's my discipline. I think it can happen with other professionals as well. A lot of times they'll want to know, what do I do for my students in therapy? And I can give them a framework to work off of, but it's often really hard for me to say, like, this is exactly what you should do in this session for this student or group of students, because I don't know the context of your situation. So for example, when I was in the schools, I had, uh, there was a fantastic special ed teacher, and we used to collaborate a lot to work on vocabulary. And so there were some things that she was working on that I was within my scope but I knew she was doing a really good job with it. And there was some overlapping scope there. So a lot of times what I would do with her is we would sit down and figure out who's doing what. So yeah, I was considering what makes sense for me to work on based on the fact that I'm an SLP and language and literacy are my areas of expertise. But what I was doing in therapy was kind of informed by thinking about service delivery from a bigger picture first before I'm planning, I was planning therapy. So I always tell people that if you get to that point where you're like, okay, I feel pretty good as far as what I'm doing and like, and what I'm doing in therapy. And now I need to figure out how to better utilize my resources so that services feel a little more cohesive. Instead of planning for therapy, plan for service delivery. Think about what are my resources? Like what's who's on, on my team and what are they working on? And then that's going to help you to get more clarity about how you fit into that puzzle. And that can actually help you to make sure you're not duplicating services, make sure that you're reinforcing other things that people are doing. And, and that can also solve the problem of when people feel like I've got 30 minutes a week with my kids, I can't get to everything. Well, you might not have to, you might be able to work with somebody else and, maybe they can hit it from a different angle that you can't. Uh, maybe you can work together to provide some training resources for teachers or parents or so that you can get that support for students beyond just your therapy room. I always tell people that you, I'm going to give you a framework. You need to use this framework to figure out what, what this kid needs but you don't have to be the one that's directly delivering that intervention. You That could look different for you. You could be doing some of it from a direct therapy model where you're working directly and teaching those skills directly to a child, or you could be training somebody else to do it. That could be a method of service delivery as well. So that's what I mean when I say service delivery. I'm I'm thinking different models, consultation, training, and direct therapy, but Thinking about all those different things that you can do that fall under that umbrella of services so that you can just get more bang for your buck and more mileage. So let me ask you, because I know, I know like, you know, also, and you're right. I love how you explain that. So like, what do you do? Because, you know, a lot of us and a lot of kids we work with, and, and I think, you know, we're like, you know, all a little overwhelmed. Um, 
what do you do with kids or that you're working with and you also have executive functioning challenges and maybe you could like also explain what that means because sometimes we as parents don't really know um how do you kind of collaborate with everybody how do you kind of work that out yeah so with my when i am thinking about helping clinicians be better leaders I am not necessarily saying um, diving into all of the clinical areas in their discipline with the exception of executive functioning, because that is a global thing that should be embedded across the board for kids. So when I'm talking about executive functioning, I'm talking about, you know, attention, self-regulation, high-level planning, goal-directed behavior. So again, the control center in your brain that helps you to get things done and work towards specific goals. So obviously that's something that is, you know, a lot of times when, when therapists ask me, like, what do I do in my sessions? Like what worksheets do I need with executive functioning? That is something where there's, let's see, how should I say this? Um, I mean, honestly, this is one of the things that if you are if you're a, a therapist and you're working with a child, um, you need to think about what you're doing in your sessions, but you also, this is an area where you really need to think about what supports need to be in place across the board. And so to give some specifics, um, you know, this could be, there could be a number of different strategies that you could incorporate into classrooms, depending on what kids need. There's a number of different ways that you can support kids in the home environment, but really what it is, is creating structure to help kids to read the room, self-regulate, um, take the perspective of other people so that they can apply those skills across, you know, all the different things that they do. Um, another part of it is making sure that they're engaging in internal dialogue and so that they're planning, you know, what, what am I doing? Where am I going? And so a lot of that, it's, it's such a huge area. It's really hard to kind of boil down into a step-by-step -step plan. But I think the main thing that people need to realize there is that because those types of things, being able to um, self-monitor and regulate and talk yourself through things, if you're just working on that in kind of a worksheet, you know, therapy type of setting, it's going to be really hard for kids to generalize that to other situations. Um, that's one of the biggest complaints that I get from therapists is that they'll say, you know, like, you know, my student isn't following directions in the classroom or they're not keeping up with, with their assignments. And, and that's because, you know, a lot of times if you're, you're doing something in sort of a, like a rote drill fashion in, in the, the therapy room, uh, it's not necessarily, they're not going to know how to apply that to what they're doing in their classroom. Or if they're in more of an unstructured social situation, a lot of times what people do in um, the school systems is, is an adult-led social skills group. And it's just not, it's not functional and realistic enough to really get kids to know what to do when they're actually in a real life situation. So what we need to do is if you are somebody who is, you know, designing services for kids, 
is figure out what's going on across settings for kids and figure out what information those other people need in order to create clear structure and boundaries in the environment, um, what information they um, they need in order to um, model different uh, like self-talk in within certain situations. And so there's, you know, a, a number of different strategies that you can use there, whether it's just modeling, whether it's helping kids to, um, you know, plan multi-step processes, um, whether it's just, you know, setting up clear routines and expectations for what kids are supposed to do. And so it's, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of different things. Um, and a lot of, a lot of schools aren't really set up with the support they need to do it. So that's why it's really important for, I think the, you know, the people supporting kids to kind of take a leadership role and, and make sure that all those people who see the kid have the right support and information to, to help them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, it's, it's kind of, you know, interesting, um, being in private practice, I kind of see like what happens from early September to like maybe March. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, some, sometimes when we get into February and March, parents will call their kids will need more help, especially with stuttering therapy. I have a huge, you know, ADHD caseload also. And a lot of times, you know, I'll say, and I usually, you know, ask the parents, you know, who nine times out of 10 are not really sure how to help their kids at home and that I get. But when I ask the kids, you know, especially sometimes when we're doing stuttering therapy, they just don't know. I mean, I'll say, you know, what have you worked on all, all year? I don't know. Um, and to me, it's a big problem with, um, you know, maybe their age. I mean, some of them do have executive functioning challenges, but not all of them. But I see like sometimes where maybe like what you were mentioning, you know, earlier, um, do you feel like sometimes people are just like trying to follow like a certain method and a certain work um, workbook and they're sort of not carrying that over? Yeah. So this is the, one of the biggest challenges that I have come across in, um, you know, providing support for both families and and clinicians as well, is that it's really, I think it's really comforting for people to think like, I just want to take a pill. I just want to use an app to build my, my child's language. I just want, a lot of times people ask me for a curriculum for language therapy. Um, and so I, I do give them a framework and try to funnel it down, but I can't give you a workbook to work on all the things that you need to work on for language and executive functioning. That is something where you need to, as a, as a parent or as a clinician, understand the, like, I would say kind of the, the framework. I like to use the word framework because it's more of a decision-making process for 
like when you're when you're in a situation, how to respond and support your child or your students. And a lot of times what people want for me, I've even had this feedback from people who've been, you know, reviewed my course. They're like, people want, you know, you should go through and tell people step-by-step what to do in their therapy sessions. I can't do that because I can't predict how the child is going to respond. You have to be able to think on the spot and know, have some strategies in your, your, you know, have some tools in your toolbox, but I can't give you that easy answer of a worksheet or a curriculum or an app. The, um, the like it's, it is a, it's not the sexy, easy answer that people want, but once you start to build those habits and learn how to respond, um, learn how to model, learn how to, um, you know, set up your day so that there's clear routines. So you're not having to explain yourself all the time. And so kids don't have to, you know, listen to a ton of auditory directions because, you know, you've already got your routine really clear. All of that stuff takes work up front. And once you do that, it does pay off in the long run, but it's not always the quick, easy answer. Um, (laughs) And it does take time. You have to lay your habits on top of each other and, um, you know, work through things that are, that are kind of challenging. (laughs) Right. So you're right. There is no easy answer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. People yeah, do want I mean, it. <laughs> you're right. And it makes, I mean, you know, we, we love what we do, but it makes it, it harder. But I think the more communication we have, the b- better. Um, what advice do you have? Because I, I know you provide, um, and let me, you know, ask you, can you share your podcast also so other speech pathologists know it yeah so the name right now is are they 18 yet um originally i had designed it to be have a parenting focus but really the focus now is you know definitely parents are welcome to listen to it i think it can be really helpful for parents to know the challenges that clinicians are facing so that they can you know be a team but it's really focused on helping clinicians to to be better leaders so that they can advocate for themselves as a field and work as a team and just get better support for the kids that they're working with. Okay. So yeah, I love it. Um, I think it's great. So what advice do you have for speech, for speech pathologists, especially the ones who are working in the schools who are, you know, having problems sort of collaborating with others. They're, they're having problems with communicating. How do you kind of like recommend that they start? I mean, I know a lot of them are working really hard at yes. this now. So it's like not something they aren't working hard at. But I mean, how do you like, you know, recommend in terms of improving language, improving, you know, how they sort of, um wait, what am I saying? Improving, you know, how you sort of collaborating, get the carryover. How do you recommend that, especially when you're dealing with language? So what I recommend people doing is a concept that I refer to as asset stacking. And so what this is, is basically you have assets would be things like time, resources, relationships, um, tools, or even financial resources, um, systems that would enable you to be 
more efficient so that you can free up time to do other things. One of the biggest challenges that people face with you know, not being able to collaborate with other people is time. So I don't, I think the problem with, with productivity advice and self-care advice for therapists is that it's, it's really hard to figure out how to block out time to do all the things at once. And so people get really overwhelmed. You can't just block out time for all of these things when you have this huge unmanageable caseload. So what you need to do is block out enough time in order for you to kind of get to that next stage. And I, I call it again, stacking assets on top of each other. So how that could look is uh, you could first start off with just kind of making a productivity system to block out just a little bit more time for something else. So for example, if you could just block out an extra 30 minutes a day, you could use that 30 minutes a day, that, that extra time that you've created is another asset. That system that you've used to block out that 30 minutes is a process that you can use. That's a thing that you can use to get more leverage. Then now you have that more, that additional time, you could use that time to do something to build another asset. So for example, if you're a school SLP and you're feeling overwhelmed in language therapy, you could use that time to create some systems and protocols for language therapy. And you want to think about how do I build something that I can spend some time up front building, but that I don't have to keep doing over and over again. And that's really what I do in my, my language therapy advanced foundations program for SLPs is I show them a framework for language therapy. So they do have to invest some time in learning this process. But once they do that, they are feeling less cluttered and way more efficient. And they, they are focusing on the skills that they know are actually going to move their students forward. So that could be an example. You create a productivity system, block out some time. You use that time to build a better system for language therapy. Now, once you've built that system, you've got this, you know, again, you're being more efficient in your therapy. Then you could focus on your next step, like building another asset, which could be, hey, now that I've got my my time, I feel like I've got a better control of my time. I feel like I have better skills in language therapy. Now, maybe I'm going to start thinking about who would be people in my building that would be good to reach out to and collaborate with, because then those relationships are another asset you could stack on top of that. And, you know, like when I was working with the special ed teacher, we could work together and pool our resources together. So now I have more more stuff like I could we can borrow each other's resources we can work together to create things so again you're you're kind of stacking this in layers so that you're doing one thing at a time and and this way it's again it, it gets you more leverage it helps you do things in stages instead of just feeling overwhelmed so that's really what I recommend people doing is thinking about that that stacking concept and a good place for an SLP to start if they're just feeling totally overwhelmed would be to focus on building some systems around language therapy. And that is, that's why that was one of the, the very first signature programs that I built in my, my business. You know, I love that. And I think that time management is huge for all of us, right? I mean, I, I think, you know, we all get very rushed. And I think sometimes as speech pathologists, we're like always looking to maybe start things over. And I think I love what you said, because we might not like, you know, be able to follow the same system for everyone, mm -hmm. but there are certain things that we can 
create that will free up so much of our time. And I think um, that's that's really huge. I know I worked in a school in my career early on, and the hardest part of it was that we were, we had a very hard time having meetings. Mm -hmm. And when we were able to like, you know, free up time to, you know, maybe meet like on a student once each, I think we were meeting once a month, but that like really helped a lot. So do you think if like, you know, there was more time to kind of meet, collaborate and plan that would really help a lot? Yeah, absolutely. And it's always the time issue, always. Um, And something else that I've noticed, uh, which for me, when I was in the schools, I would sometimes say, I want to be better about reaching out to teachers. But sometimes I would find myself procrastinating on reaching out to people. And I would give myself the excuse, I'm an introvert, I'm shy, I'm socially awkward, and tell myself all kinds of you know, garbage <laughs> that wasn't super yeah. helpful. But really the issue was that I didn't really have a clear plan and clarity about how I was going to spend that time because I would get frustrated if I would go and talk to a teacher and we would sort of talk in circles and not get anything done. And so that's another way when you're thinking about assets, what another asset you could work on, which is something that I also teach clinicians is figuring out just like you would plan for a therapy session, plan for those meetings. Like you would like a a therapy protocol is an asset, but so is a protocol an agenda for, for a, a meeting with the teacher. And that's a concept you can use over and over again and a skill that you can build that can help you to actually make that time productive because then what you can do, you know, there's a number of different formats. You can, you know, have emails, you can have face-to-face meetings and it just, you know, people aren't motivated to do things if they don't know why or what they're doing, if they don't feel like they're going to be successful, if they don't feel like they're going to see the results of what they're doing. And, um, and I think that that's a lot of times why people feel frustrated and burnt out. And so, you know, again, nobody likes to sit in an unproductive meeting. So I think, I think actually making better use of that time and being efficient and getting things done is, is really helpful as well. It's not just let's block out more time for meetings. It's what do we actually have to get done? Because sometimes then you can figure out, can this be accomplished in an email? Can it be accomplished in a five minute phone call or a, just a quick lunch meeting? You actually know how much time to block out. So it can be really, that can be really helpful as well to just kind of, you know, be respectful of everyone's time. Yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, I, I understand what you were saying because, you know, I remember like also, especially when I first started out about 30 years ago, um, I remember like, you know, working in a school, I was a new SLP. Um, I was like, you know, am I allowed to ask for a meeting? And, and exactly like, you mm-hmm. said, you know, if I start asking a lot or they're going to really think I don't know a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I think I like, you know, started to realize, I mean, you know, not everybody responds in a positive manner, but there were many, um, you know, other teachers who were like, yes, I would love to, you know, meet, you know, 
even if it's only a minute. Um, I mean, it's very hard. And, you know, I remember it was, you know, it's very hard to really communicate with that many parents when you have over 50 students yeah. on a caseload. So you're always kind of in a hard spot. I mean, you're lucky if you, you can even write a note. But um, I used to think, yeah, I mean, I, and, I, and I do think as parents and, you know, being a parent of a child, you know, who has ADHD, you sometimes sort of, you know, have to ask yourself if you know enough and if not, what do you have to do as a parent to kind of learn more? Because if they mm -hmm. need more support, it might have to come out of the school. Right. So yeah. you sort of have to know that. So, I mean, at, at what, I don't know if you can directly answer this, but like, at what point do you like recommend that like parents kind of intervene more? I think that they're like, I think as a person who worked in a school, I always appreciated if parents would just, you know, reach out and just have a contact. I always appreciated when parents would respond to notes and just be in contact with me. A lot of times it's very frustrating as a person working in the school to do, put all this effort into parent outreach and then people you know, don't respond to things. And again, it's not, it's not anything against those parents. Everybody has their, all of these things going on in their lives. Um, they also, everybody prefers a different mode of communication. Everybody has different levels of access to different communication and things like that. But it, it is always just, it's helpful to just be responsive. You know, I mean, even just sending a quick email and asking, you know, what are you working on? Things like that. That's, that's always, it's always nice to just know that the parent is, is there and is aware of what you're doing. And so I, I would say if you have a child and you just, you want to know what's going on at the school, just, you know, just ask. Um, but also know that um, it's really helpful to, really think about it as we're we're a team we want to form an alliance with these people that are at the school um, if you can come in as somebody who is who wants to be supportive um, I just know that it was always so helpful as a person in the school to just know that the parents were paying attention to what we were doing wanting to know what they could do at home because it is very frustrating as a school therapist to just know I only have 30 minutes with this child and I just wish that I could see them in a more functional environment and just be able to reinforce things. So even just asking, you know, what can I do? What are your recommendations is always helpful, even if you just get kind of a, a very general thing. And I, you know, again, as a, as a therapist would not, I didn't like to give a lot of homework. I usually liked to just tell parents things that they could sort of embed in their day-to-day -day routines because that is more effective anyways. And also I don't want to just add more homework just to, ha you know, have homework just to do homework. I don't really, <laughs> I don't think that's very helpful. <laughs> yeah. I and and I, the question. <laughs> no, but I also like, you know, the word homework, like when I'm working with 
kids, I always tell parents, please don't use the word homework because, you know, they're used to like school homework. I mean, I can give like really fun homework, but the minute they hear the word homework, it's like homework. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like you, you know, um, I also, you know, try, I would prefer to give things that they can use in their everyday life. And also you're right. I mean, school, spe school speech therapists and private speech therapists. I mean, there's, there's only so much time in a day. Mm -hmm. So we can ask, you know, and we can try and get involved and see if, you know, whatever is being done is working. But there is sometimes, I think like you had mentioned earlier, there is like no sometimes like one right answer. You sort of yeah. have to work with a child for a while to kind of see what really helps them. Because sometimes we don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I think that my recommendation for anybody who's working in, you know, any, you know, anyone, the, the, the school staff who are wanting to work with the parents, the parents who are wanting to reach out to the school, the, the private therapist who's wanting to, um, you know, reach out to the school. I think your best bet is always to assume the best of other people, assume that everyone wants to do what's best for the kids and that they are doing the best that they can with the resources available to them. But as a parent, it is your right to ask for things. You can ask for, you know, your child to be screened. You can ask in writing for them to be evaluated. You can ask for those things. It doesn't mean that the school is going to be able to give you exactly what you want because they do have to follow certain criteria. Sometimes they, you know, again, from someone working in the schools, I always felt like I wasn't doing all that I wished I could have been doing. A lot of times they are doing as much as they possibly can, but you can still ask, you know, you can still ask for those things because there might be times when you have more information than the school has, because they're, especially if you have an older child who's switching classes, there might be things going on that the schools might not immediately catch right away just because they've got so many kids. But if you reach out to the teacher and just say like, hey, I appreciate everything that you're doing, you know, could you, whatever it is, like if you want them to just kind of keep your, keep an eye on your child, or if you have a specific question about something, or if you really do think that your child needs services, then you can ask, um, I mean, you can ask for your child to be screened. It, obviously depending, that kind of depends on what the, what the issue is. It, it is kind of nice to know who your first point of contact is. Generally, that could be the general education teacher or the, if there's like a, a homeroom teacher or something like that, um, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that it can, I always say like, assume the best, but also you can still ask for what you, what you want and what you know your child needs. So you can still advocate you know, you can just do it from a place of compassion. Uh, and I think that that's always your best bet. I love this. Okay. So I just want to, you know, make sure that everybody has all the information because you are a wealth of information. So if other SLPs want to reach you, where can they find you? 
So I am at the moment, uh, a lot of my, a lot of my new content is going to be on my podcast. So that's, are they 18 yet? It's on all of the directories, but also my, my website, which is focused on, on leadership is drkarendudekbrannon.com. And my website that is really more language and literacy and SLP specific. Um, the other one is kind of, it's broader, broader special ed. The, uh, the other one that's more SLP specific is drkarenspeech.com. Um, and I also can share, if you have show notes, there's a free, uh, free webinar that I have that is that shares my framework for language therapy that I teach SLPs, which if you are wanting to start stacking assets and building systems is a great place to start if you are wanting a better system for supporting language and literacy. I love this. So yeah, I will definitely put all that information on the notes so everybody has it. I am just going to say one quote, which is how I've been ending my podcasts. Um, and it is this, and I don't exactly, this is actually an anonymous one. And it is, life is like a camera, focus on what's important, capture the good times, develop from the negatives. And if things don't work out, take another sh shot. And I think a lot of, um, all of us have to kind of learn from that and mm -hmm. have a more positive mindset. Dr. Karen, thank you so much. We learned so much from having you on. I will make sure all of your information is in the notes. So if anybody wants to contact you, all the information is there. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. I'm going to turn this off.